When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's Jimmy Stein. I'm Clint Lamb, and this is the Bama Online YouTube channel. Jimmy, we got a ton to react to here. You got the college football playoff. You got the, you know, the SEC championship. Just, I don't even, I mean, I know where to start. We're going to start with the college football playoff because we're going to spend the majority of this uh, video talking about the SEC championship. So we'll start with the playoff talk. We'll go ahead and dive into it. Alabama makes it in over Florida State, over Ohio State, over Georgia. I mean, a lot of that, you know, doesn't surprise anybody, but the Florida State factor, a lot of people are upset about it. What are your thoughts on not only the fact that they got in, but who they got in over? Yeah, real interesting. Uh, you know, a couple of things uh, that I was right about, and, and I always need to bring that up because I'm not always right. <laughs> Whenever I have a, a, an E victory, as they call it, I need to bring attention to it. <laughs> but one of the things that I've said for weeks is look, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be five championship games, and the committee will select four of those five winners. And I know that's not exactly uh, rocket science, but it's never happened before. And we've never had a weekend like we just had where every Power Five conference had high-quality uh, candidates for the playoff, and, and, and a lot of them were playing against each other in the conference championship games. But it, it played out exactly as I thought. Now, what, what I didn't know – uh, was how the games would play out and what the committee would be presented with late Saturday night. Uh, and it became apparent to me that uh, Michigan and Washington were just slam dunks as undefeated, uh, uncontroversial uh, conference champions that, that were undefeated. And I always felt, because the committee was was making it clear in their rankings, Clint, that Texas was getting in ahead of Alabama that if Texas won out and they were Big 12 champs, they were getting in ahead of Alabama. So if Alabama beat Georgia and, and merited inclusion, uh, Texas was going to be ahead of them. So you had Michigan, you had Washington, you had Texas. Alabama for the last spot versus Florida State came down to that. It was confirmed by Boot Corrigan in his interview with Reese Davis uh, that, yeah, it, it did come down to Alabama versus Florida State for the last spot. And, uh, you know, I, I think that Alabama merited inclusion over Florida State based on nothing more than strength of schedule. Per ESPN's numbers, the strength of schedule numbers were 5 to 55. To me, that's a whopping difference, a dramatic difference that in and of itself should have put Alabama in. But I can just go by what Boo Corrigan says that the committee did. And when he was asked why Alabama and not Florida State, he immediately addressed Jordan Travis and, and the injury to Florida State's quarterback. That was the immediate answer. So I have to think it wasn't so much the strength of schedule, and it should have been. Instead, it was Jordan Travis. But the final point I want to make to everybody, because I think this gets lost in the translation, is look, Florida State didn't get eliminated because Jordan Travis got hurt. It wasn't just that. It was this. When they played the backup, he wasn't very good. I'm not being critical or mean to the kid. 
he hasn't played. He hasn't started. He shouldn't have been good. And he wasn't. And then they had to play a third guy and he was even less effective than the second guy. I, I firmly believe this. This may, this may hack off some of our Alabama fan viewers, Clint, but I personally believe based on what Boo Corrigan said and based on the precedent set in 2014 with Ohio State and Cardell Jones, had Tate Rodemaker come in and played really well against Florida and Florida State picked up where they left off and continued to be a really good dominant type team with good quarterback play, Alabama would not be in. Florida State would be in if Tate Rodemaker had proven that there wasn't going to be a drop-off. But it looked like a significant drop-off, Clint, that Florida State would not be the same team with Rodemaker. Therefore, they went with Alabama. And I think it was a good decision for multiple reasons, but that was ultimately the reason the committee chose Alabama. Yeah, we talked a lot about how Alabama needed help, and they didn't get it. Okay, I say they didn't get it. Uh, they definitely didn't get it in the win-loss department for other teams. It was pretty wild how everything shook out. It was like Alabama fans, I understand in the past, some teams have helped Alabama and, and get got them to the, the, the championship game or the playoffs or whatever, but this year, Bama fans could only rely on Alabama. And everybody else was a massive disappointment. You had like 30, there was like a three weekends in a row at least, maybe more than that, four weekends after the college football playoff rankings were released. And you knew some of the stuff was probably going to take care of itself. Ohio State's playing Michigan. Uh, you knew that Washington and Oregon were going to face each other. Uh, you knew Alabama would have to beat Georgia to make it to the college football playoff. So, you know, you knew that some stuff was going to take care of itself, but then you needed a couple of other things where you felt like you did. And just every step of the way, nobody was helping Alabama out by knocking one of these teams off. The only help they really got was the fact that defenses against Florida State uh, with their backup and third string in played well enough to make their offense look really, really bad. And part of that's the defensive performance, and part of that's just Florida State's offense isn't very good. But that's about the only help they got. But you're 100% correct. I mean, Cardell Jones, third string quarterback, comes in. They beat Wisconsin. It was like, what, 63-7 to or something? I mean, it was a huge lopsided win i mean it, it just you didn't really get a situation where you could leave ohio state out because they're still playing really good football i brought brought up the example on the message board of mac jones in 2019 if alabama doesn't lose to auburn in that game which everybody likes to blame mac jones for the two pick sixes one of them was a bad throw one of them was extremely fluky but other than that he played really good football you know he threw four touchdowns he, you know, had a high completion percentage in the high 60 percentile. He made some big time throws. He looked, the offense didn't look like it was going to be a problem. They scored 40, uh, what was the final of that? 45, 48 or something? Uh, 41. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was somewhere in the 40s. I mean, it wasn't like they had, and that was with, you know, a lot of Auburn's points, two touchdowns came off pick sixes. Uh, and so had they won that game, would they have gotten in over Oklahoma, who was a one loss team? Probably not. Would they have gotten in, you know, if Baylor would have been able to pull the upset on Oklahoma that year? It's very possible Baylor would have gotten in. Uh, but Alabama would have been very much in that conversation despite the fact that they were a non-conference winner and they had the same losses as other teams. Why? Because they got quality play out of the quarterback position. Against Arkansas, Mac Jones was lights out. Against Western Carolina, I understand it's Western, Western Carolina but Mac Jones was averaging 22.6 yards per attempt. I mean, through three touchdowns. 
So it's like, that's what you have to get out of your backup when he comes in, or you're going to be, be perceived as a different team. I mean, everybody wants to use common opponent to talk, well, you know, FSU beat LSU by X amount of points, which was more than Alabama. They were, and really, you know, LSU had a late touchdown to make it more respectable than it actually was. That was a Jordan Travis-led Florida State team, and he had 380 yards and five touchdowns. Do they have that same performance with either one of those two quarterbacks? Do they even win with one of those two other quarterbacks? Probably not. So, yes, it was like all of their resume had been built as a Jordan Travis team, and you don't have Jordan Travis anymore. So, like, of course it's going to – you are a different team, and that defense is, is championship caliber. Give them a ton of credit, but you got to be able to score points to college football playoff. You're not getting a 6-3 final score. Bottom line, in that Florida State offense, I mean, it just it didn't look good. Um, and I do think, I do wonder, uh, you know, when you're comparing this stuff, it's like the example that I used. If I had a six-shot revolver and I put five rounds into it and I pulled the trigger aiming at a tree, the chances are a lot higher than a bullet's going to go off uh, than if I put two rounds in it. And so Alabama playing five top 25 opponents, three, six, 11, 13, 21, and you've got Florida State playing 13 and 15, your chances of a loss when you're playing five is a lot higher than when you're playing two. And so you really also can't blame Alabama for having a loss in comparison when their strength of schedule was that much better. And there's also the factor of did the college football playoff committee, they put all their eggs in the Oregon basket and they were embarrassed by Oregon by getting beat. Now, granted, it ended up being a close game. It, it was an exciting game, but it's just like the SEC championship where Alabama had complete control for most of it, and it was pretty clear they were the better team. Washington proved they were clearly the better team than, than Oregon. So the committee was embarrassed. They did not think Alabama was good enough to beat Georgia. They were wrong. Alabama embarrassed them in that way by getting that win, and it's like they didn't want to risk making the mistake of leaving Alabama out for a Florida State just to be embarrassed again. So it's like, okay, just put Alabama in. You know, it kind of it felt like that too a little bit. I, and there's more that goes into it, but I, I, I wasn't shocked at all by the, uh, by the decision. No, uh, uh, and, and I wouldn't have been floored if they left Alabama out. I, 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 I was prepared for that. I was saying the morning, you know, uh, Sunday morning, I was saying 60-40 Alabama in, and I talked to some good sources uh, up, you know, that, that would uh, be in a position you would think to know more than most. And, and, uh, and, and no one really knows. No, no one knows. No one knew. But uh, I just talked to, talk to people and off-the-record comments, about, you know, about, you know, what do you, what do you really think here? Uh, and I learned enough to make me very, very nervous uh, going into the announcement. But as soon as they flashed Texas on the screen at number three, uh, I, I knew, okay, Alabama's in. That's how I knew. Because – Florida State was only getting in on the argument that they were unbeaten. So if you're putting Florida State in, then they have to be ahead of Texas, who had a loss as well. So as soon as they put Texas up well, that, that had the loss, I figured Alabama will be right behind them, where Alabama had been uh, in all the committee rankings. And I do think people uh, blow off that Tuesday night show, and they shouldn't. Uh, the Tuesday night ranking show leading up to the selection Sunday – there were clues all along in every show about how the committee ranked things and how they felt about things and how they would feel about things at the end. And uh, 
for that reason, I think those that watched all the Tuesday night shows and paid attention to the rankings had a better idea uh, as to what was going to happen on the, on that Sunday. But the, the, the slight surprise was kind of dropping Florida state um, at the end, but Hey, I watched Florida state Louisville. And while Florida state defensively, I think is still a very elite national championship worthy type unit. Florida state has, and I'm stealing this from someone else, but it's true. Florida state without, without Jordan Travis turned into Iowa at the end that they're Iowa. Now they're, very elite defensively, really good, puts the team in a position to win every week, no matter the opponent level good. But the offense is now a pop gun. It, it, they had to go to Wildcat plays to beat Louisville, who we last saw lose to Kentucky, the, the number nine team in the SEC. Uh, look, uh, Florida State's current incarnation is just not good enough to be in, in the in the field. I firmly believe that. And I'll also say, hey, I don't mind being proven wrong. Hey, Florida State, if, if y'all beat Georgia in the Orange Bowl, if y'all beat Georgia and Alabama doesn't beat Michigan, I'll, I'll say I was wrong and I'll walk back everything I said. Uh, I just doubt it if it goes the other way that y'all will walk back what y'all said. <laughs> but I will. I'll, I'll say I was wrong if Florida State beats Georgia and Alabama loses to Michigan. Yeah, and – I think where the committee went wrong, I understand their logic. I think they, they foresaw things working out very differently. Uh, why? I don't really know. This felt like it was a very strong possibility to me that there were going to be several contenders in here. Uh, but, you know, I think they thought Alabama would get taken care of by Georgia and that would eliminate them from the conversation. Uh, you know, a Washington team that didn't have a great strength of schedule getting beat by in a rematch by Oregon that was close the first time would make that an easy argument for Oregon. Um, and, you know, just there was a lot of different things. But I, I think where the committee messed up is that they there was five undefeated teams at one point. And based off of Florida State losing their quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, the timing of it, they dropped from number four to number five with Washington moving ahead of them. And then Ohio State played Michigan. And they obviously the loser of that was going to drop out, but I think it would have been smarter because you already had Florida State at five to have moved the loser of that Ohio State Mich uh, Michigan game to number four, and then that becomes if they're sitting at home at number four during championship week, that's very justifiable to say Alabama beat Georgia, they jump ahead of Ohio State here, but it is very difficult because now you've positioned yourself where where Florida State is you know you've dropped them out despite nothing that they've done wrong other than losing their starting quarterback and not still playing really good football with their backups and we need to keep talking about that it's not just the fact that they and you brought this up it's not just the fact they lost their quarterback it's the replacement options weren't great it wasn't even the fact that they, it's like okay they're showing some flashes here you give them a month to be the starter between championships uh weekend and and the start of the college football playoff and they'll be probably a pretty serviceable you know player um the it would the offense was way too limiting and it was just there was way too many worthy teams this year and so that's how that worked out uh and one of the reasons why alabama was such a worthy team is because of what they did on saturday to georgia in the sec championship 27 24 final score i think we can both agree it could have been a lot more lopsided than that, speaking candidly. 
Uh, Georgia is a very good football team, so I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but you're talking about dropped interceptions. You're talking about the fact that Alabama led by multiple scores on several occasions, and there was really – I'm not saying that they never felt threatened because that entire – for most of that game, they felt threatened, but they were in control for the entirety of the game pretty much other than the way that it started, which I think a lot of fans probably were real nervous after that first – You know, I would say two drives for each team. I, I think Bama fans were probably very nervous with how that could potentially turn out but give Alabama a ton of credit because they were able to get the job done. You know, I think that what I, where I was wrong in my analysis of the game, there was something I was kind of wrong about, is I felt that the only path to Alabama winning this game, like, okay, this is the formula. This is how Alabama's going to win. I, I think it. I thought it needed to be Jalen Milrow's best performance of the year, Alabama's best performance of the year, not only best performance of the year, best performance for 60 minutes. And then when the game was over, we just said, wow, that that's the Milrow we've been waiting to see. That's the Alabama performance we've been waiting to see. Alabama just played their best game of the year and beat Georgia. I think that was a little off because I, I'm not so convinced. And I mean, this as a compliment to Jalen and a compliment to Alabama. I think they can play even better than they did against Georgia. They play well. Obviously, you have to play well to beat Georgia, and they did. But I I think Alabama left some meat on the bone. I I think Alabama might be even better than what we just saw. I think for for stretches of the game, they played really well defensively. They did a good job on Georgia's run game. Georgia wasn't able to establish the run in a way that was really dinging Alabama. They did really well there and they limited Beck and almost forced Beck into several turnovers, but Alabama defensive backs kind of developed a a dropsies issue. But the defense was, I would say, that was about 90%, you know, playing at 90% of their capability. I think there there could be even a little more. And offensively, uh, Milrow with an MVP-worthy performance, no question Jalen Milrow, well-deserving of that award, and he's the reason, right? I mean, he's why Alabama is is 12-1 and one and heading to the playoff. Uh, it's Jalen Milrow. I just have, think – I believe I've seen Milrow play a little better than he played against Georgia, particularly early. And uh, I think it, it's a tremendous testament to him that he's putting us in a position where we sort of expect more. Like, dude, we, we know you're a dude, you know, and and, and in terms of – being a little more accurate with, you know, downfield, he doesn't seem to be as accurate as maybe he was during a portion of the season. Uh, but at the same time, he's done a great job of staying away from turnovers entirely. I think Alabama's turned over the ball one time on offense in like four and a half or five games. That's that's ridiculously good. Uh, I, I'm just saying I can't be more impressed with Alabama beating Georgia when I still think when this season is over, Clint, we're not going to say – that that Georgia game was the best we saw Alabama play all year. I'm hopeful that we might be saying that after Michigan or after Texas or Washington. I hope so, because I just think we can see an even better Alabama than we did. Well, and that I completely agree with you. Um, And that's kind of part of me thinks that weighed on the committee's minds as well, because Alabama did not play their best game and yet they were still clearly, they won by three, but they were clearly better than Georgia. 
And I think when you see that, you're like, man, if you would have told me Alabama wins by three, that's I think I predicted like a 31-27 final score. So I predict Alabama to win by four. That's right in the the realm. And this is why, you know, after the game, I've been saying, especially before, Alabama needs help to make it into the college football playoff, period. If, if they got to beat Georgia. That's first and foremost. That has to happen. But even if they beat Georgia, they're going to need some help because I thought it would be like, I thought it would be a close win. I thought it was certainly possible that they would win, but I thought that it would be like a, it's kind of a toss up and Alabama needed their best of their best to beat Georgia. And it was just, you know, if they didn't, if they played 10 times, you wouldn't get that performance out of Alabama, but it probably be about half the time. And they end up losing about half of them as a result. No, they won a close one, but they proved they can play better. Like they didn't, they they played a B game and they soundly beat Georgia. So they have to be a top four team in college football. Like that is, if that's been your perception of Georgia as the top ranked team, and I still think they're one of the best four teams in the country. I don't, I don't think many Alabama fans are going to deny that. Uh, you know, then you had to include Alabama as a top four team. Uh, and with Milrow, he didn't play his best football. Uh, he really didn't. And there's a part of me. He made the plays when he had to. That was number one. Number two, if you want to see the growth from Jalen Milrow against Texas to now, it's the fact that in this type of game, you know your offense or your, excuse me, you know your defense is going to be able to get some stops. You can trust your defense to a degree, but you know that that other team is going to be able to put up some points. So there's pressure from the other side, but also you're playing a good defense as well. Like you're going against LSU and it's like, man, this defense is awful. So even though your defense is giving up points every single possession, you're not worried about going up out there and putting up points yourself. And we talked about this. Since the Texas game, this was the most complete team Alabama had played, and that's going to add pressure. Um, and so Milrow didn't play his best football, but he made the plays when he needed to, and he avoided turnovers. And against Texas, he did not do that. He threw two back-breaking interceptions, one that set the tone of the game, and two, the other one in the fourth quarter that allowed Texas to immediately score again and create the double-digit separation that they needed to win the game by double digits. If he didn't throw even that second one, Alabama probably loses. I mean, I don't say probably. They very well could have still lost. Would have been a one-score game, and then it wouldn't be Alabama losing by double digits at home. So that was those interceptions were critical to the outcome of that game and the way it shook out. And in this game, he avoided turnovers, and that is huge. And I will give the surrounding factors credit too because he was getting a lot of what a quarterback needs to succeed and that is a complimentary run game alabama could run the football on georgia i'm surprised they didn't try to run it more i thought they were way too stubborn on the deep shots trying to get that going and it was like after like the second or third one maybe the fourth one it's like okay it's just not there today, but you're winning another way. So stop doing it. Like, there's no point. You don't have to have it today. You're fine. This is LSU. Uh, different reason why, it's, why, you know, the deep ball in there. But it's that type kind of game. Alabama adjusted a little bit against LSU. They took what the defense gave them more. I feel like they were a little bit more under pressure against Georgia to really try to get that going. Um, but you, so you had the complimentary run game. You got the offensive line protecting you. Well enough. Some of that's the way that Georgia attacked them schematically. But, you know, bottom line is, is Jalen Monroe was not under a lot of pressure. A lot of Georgia's sacks were cover-based. Um, and then you got the play calling. I thought Tommy Reese did a pretty nice job. The defense was doing its part for the, for the most part. I mean, obviously late, 
that's where Jalen Milrow kind of had to take over and the offense had to take over. And, and I thought they did a great job of responding. But, um, you know, for the most part, you had a defense that was getting some stops and helping you out, keeping the score close, not letting it get lopsided or not letting Georgia take the lead. You were able to go out there pretty much the entire game with a lead. And then also you had wide receivers making tough catches because the, the accuracy wasn't always there. And there were some high throws, but the, the throw to Bond was definitely catchable, but Bond brought it in, and he rewarded him for that. And there were some other catches. The, the Bond throw that a lot of people question, at least Bond got in the realm in the area because it was not a great throw, and at least made it sold it to where it at least looked like a catch. We'll talk about that more here in a second after I get your reaction to all this. But uh, I thought Milrow got a lot of help, and that's exactly what we thought Alabama's quarterback would need going into this year. And he, Milrow hadn't always gotten it, but he got it on Saturday, and that was a team effort. I thought it was a really good performance from everybody. Yeah, it really was. They, they play. I mean, the offensive line. I would start there, and you you, you did. Uh, you know, when you say hey, everything around Milrow allowed him to be successful. True, uh, the the offensive line uh, improvement. Uh, it's just incredible. Wolford has done a great, great job improving this group from where they were. Uh, and it starts with Caden Proctor, who I think went from a September question mark to a November and December exclamation point. Uh, good. He is now a good, good SEC player. And as me and you both said all along, uh, he's going to be one of the best tackles in the country next next season. We won't have to wait. Uh, much longer for that. He, the du- dude's arriving. Uh, he, he played really well, especially considering who was going up against Latham and Booker. I thought both played well, especially Latham. Uh, he had a nice game. Um, so the offensive line gave Alabama a chance. The running backs ran hard, loved the combination of Roy Dell and Jam. Uh, Jam is, is the playmaker we thought he would be, and he's getting better. Now that he's playing, you just need the playing time. Now that he's playing consistently, you see him get better each week. He's going to be a, a monster player next year, I really feel, and, and is obviously a, a big contributor now uh, to this year's success. And the wide receiver group did did well, um, no doubt. Uh, and and, and Jalen, again, MVP-worthy performance. What I love most about Jalen's performance and why I think he was holding that trophy at the end is fourth quarter, Georgia got some momentum, started to worry <laughs> – Started to all, here they come, here they come. <clears throat> Alabama answers with their best drive, really, of the day. Spearheaded by Milrow going four for four, all to bond, to bond, to bond, to bond, to bond, four times with his arm. And, and Alabama goes down the field and scores a touchdown that pretty much decided the game. And then late in the game, Alabama gets the ball back, and it's time to run out the clock. What does that mean? That means plays on the ground, and, and who do you trust? To, to make the play and move the chains, Jalen Milrow, and, and he did. He delivered. So when Alabama needed it the most in the fourth quarter, Milrow delivered to the surprise of no one because he's he's developed into that type of player. And, uh, again, I, I think he can play better than that. I think he'll need to play better than that. But I also think he's got a whole nother month to get better. I've seen countless examples in my time, Clint, of players that improved – during the practices leading up to the bowl. It's sort of a mini spring practice. You get several practices for, for the bowl games. It's not 
as much as spring practice, but it's a mini spring practice. And I've seen kids improve uh, just in, in that practice time. And, and Mac I think Jones Norris is going to have to play better. Mac Jones against Perfect Michigan. It, I mean, he, he was playing good football before that, but when he had a game plan built around him and he, had, he was the guy for almost a month, uh, it was a completely different player, and he carried that over into 2020. Couldn't agree more. Perfect example. And we're going to see that maybe with Milrow, maybe with others on the team. But uh, Jalen can play better. I believe he will. Uh, but a great performance. And, uh, look, I don't know if he'll get it. We'll, we find out uh, tonight whether he's one of the four that's invited to New York uh, for the Heisman. I, I don't – I'm guessing he won't be. I, I think the fourth will likely end up being somebody like Marvin Harrison uh, as the fourth guy. But, hey, all, all I would like to see – is uh, Milrow finishing the top 10 in the voting? Because I think that that will launch a 2024 Heisman bid for, for Jalen Milrow. And uh, boy, nothing will make me happier one day than, than to see him get that trophy and not just the SEC uh, championship game MVP. Because uh, I, I think he's so capable. Uh, keep in mind that Knicks, Penix, Jaden Daniels, Marvin Harrison, these four that I'm projecting will be in New York. Uh, this is it for them. They're all out the door. Uh, so Milrow finishing around that that area somewhere in the top 10 would really launch a campaign for him. And it's so crazy and fun to be discussing him in, in that realm uh, after the, the September start. Yeah, I mean, and just what I've been so fascinated with is just how Milrow has grown and how he can beat you. Like earlier in the year, they were presenting defenses were presenting a ton of opportunities vertically. And they were selling out for the run, putting Alabama's offense in bad situations, second longs and things like that. And just Milrow understood, I have to beat defenses deep and make them pay for this. And he did that so consistently. His deep ball was not great against LSU. It was not great against Georgia. It didn't have to be in either because they presented different challenges. But when defenses started to figure out, okay, this, this isn't a fluke. I mean, this guy's doing this every week. We got to adjust and take away some of these vertical shots. Um, and when they did that, then you start seeing things present themselves as far as his legs are concerned. And then he started using those more, and that became a big part of the offense, particularly against LSU. Uh, you know, but then you got what Georgia did, which is like, you know, you think they drop eight. Really, they don't. It's a three-man front. They're only sending three. A, that means you're not going to really be able to get consistent pressure on Jalen Milrow because you're only rushing three. But B, uh, you know, they were using two spots. So it wasn't like they got the added player in coverage. It was they were only rushing three, but you had two spots. You were respecting Jalen Milrow's legs way more so than even Alabama respected Jaden Daniels because of the way you were playing it with two spots. I mean, that's something you don't see very often. And the hope is, is to keep him from beating you with his legs. But through that, it presented other challenges, or excuse me, other opportunities that he was able to take advantage of in certain situations. So it's been fascinating to watch how defenses have evolved and how they attack him and how he's kind of adjusted every step of the way. Now, sometimes it takes a little while. Uh, granted, I think he had enough success against Georgia where you're not going to see Michigan try that to spy stuff. Uh, they're going to try something different. And I'll be curious to see what that ends up being. They're they're pretty darn good defensively, and it's going to be a challenge. But I've been very impressed with how he's evolved, not just in the sense that he's gotten more comfortable and he's and he's you know become a better quarterback and a better player overall. But it's just he's had to do it in different ways, and and 
he has had to like he has stuff taken away from him. And I think that's one of the big things that a lot of quarterbacks deal with, especially Heisman candidate quarterbacks like Bryce Young wins the Heisman in his you know sophomore year, comes back for his junior year. Teams have had an entire offseason to prepare for what he does well, what presents challenges to him and how you can attack Alabama offensively to make life difficult on him. And even though he had the injury, he still had some difficulties because defenses knew how to better play him. Cam Newton heads off to the NFL after his big year. Joe Burrow, after his big year, completely different quarterback than he was the year prior, but he goes off to the NFL. But you see Caleb Williams win the Heisman this past year, and then teams spend an entire offseason figuring out what are his strengths and weaknesses, what do you got to look out for, what can you do to exploit him, and you don't see nearly as effective of a Caleb Williams. And so what I think is encouraging about Jalen Milrow is the fact of as the season progresses, and it will be much more difficult in 2024. Do not get me wrong. I mean, teams will, will laser in on everything that that kid does and try to make his life as difficult as possible. And a lot of your great quarterbacks, they never are as effective in that second year most of the time, but they, they, they evolve themselves and they figure out different ways that they can beat you. And I think at least on a smaller scale, Jalen Milrow has done that within a season where he's gone from being the vertical shot passer to the runner. He's gotten better with his intermediate stuff to make defenses pay in that way. And he's just, he's faced a lot of different looks or attacks and he's figured out ways to beat all of them, even though it's been challenging at times, particularly on Saturday against Georgia. And, you know, that is big. And it's also the fact of when you're playing as poorly as he was, as far as throwing the football, that can spiral on you. And you get, you know, kind of start trying to start forcing things. And then you end up forcing some turnovers that you didn't have to. He didn't spiral. He's continued to stay on the path. He seemed a little bit rattled as a passer, but he just he continued to keep going to work. And he ended up having an excellent overall day in performance because he stayed with it. And he took what the defense gave him in critical moments of the game. Yeah, he always seems to be adding to the arsenal, right? I mean, I mean that that's a credit to Tommy Reese and to Jalen, uh, who I think have both evolved together as the season has continued because they're always adding stuff. It's it's almost like to oversimplify it, Jalen won the job and beat out Ty and Tyler and, and the freshmen uh, because I, I think in some ways he just out-athleted those guys. I mean, it was just Alabama's best option because he's such a tremendous overall ath- athletic package, right? But then he gets the job and they start building it around him. And 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 as the season progresses, he develops into a quality passer. It wasn't just the legs. This dude can really throw it. The deep ball, especially early in midseason, was fantastic. And then just when people were saying, yeah, but the, the short touch pass and the intermediate ball, that's not there for him. It became there for him. He developed into a guy that could deliver that. We always knew he could run. And he became better about when to run and being aggressive using his legs. So now he's got all of this stuff. I, I think the, the next step for him, and it's the hardest one by far. I mean, this is the, the, the hardest one, but it's how you go from being a really good college quarterback to being a really good pro quarterback is next year. We already know you can beat teams with your legs. We already know now you can beat teams with your arm because you're a gifted passer. Now he's got to learn to beat teams with his mind. A smart kid, makes great grades in the business school, not easy to do. We've seen the kids speak. There's a lot of uh, intelligence to this kid. There's a lot of football smarts to this kid. I think the next step, what he's got to learn in the offseason is how I can beat teams with 
my mind, how I, how I, how I know to move the chess pieces better than you know. And it's about quick decisions and the smart decisions, seeing what the defense gives you, taking profits, you know, hey, rolling out and looking for your guy. If he's open, he's not. If, if, if not, just race him to the pot, to the first down marker. Just using your mind to advance the ball down the field. And he's so capable of this. And it's the next and last step. Because when you start being the whole athletic package and now you're beating defenses with your brain too, you know who I'm describing? The best quarterbacks in the world. The the elite NFL starting quarterbacks are the best quarterbacks in the world. And, and once, once you get that last step, now you're ready to join them. I think that's the challenge for Jalen really is more of an off-season thing because you, know, you, you need time. That, that takes time to develop. But the development of, of from where he was to where he is now is just remarkable, and it's the reason Alabama won the SEC and is in the playoff because of how he has improved and added things to the arsenal that defenses have to account for. And look, this is the first time we've seen the two-spy look. You know, Jalen is forcing defenses to do what they haven't done all year and to come up with specialty game plans to account for him. And that's why Alabama is where they are. And that's why Alabama not only gets to the playoff, but gets to the playoff with a chance to advance. Why? Jalen. Yeah, and, and you know, just I, I have been impressed with him. I mean, it, it's hard not to be. And here's the thing, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but just me – watching him struggle like I did on Saturday for a majority of that game. And it's like your mechanics are off. You're sailing some of your passes. Um, just there was, there was a lot, I wouldn't say a lot, but there was, there was enough wrong where it's like, he's not putting forth, you know, an effort that we not effort. I mean, the effort certainly there, but he's not putting forth the performance that we've seen from him in the past. One thing about it is, is I, I wasn't worried like I've, I've, I've been in the past watching him like it, what there wasn't this, Oh my gosh, man, he's, he's on the brink here. Things are going to fall apart. Alabama screwed. Now I did say, uh, Alabama's going to need its offense to win this football game late because I knew Georgia was starting to figure some things out offensively. They were starting to drive the football. And one of the things that you didn't get, um, you know, you didn't get complimentary football against Texas. Like the, the, the offense finally starts figuring some things out and they start scoring some points on Texas's defense. And then Alabama's defense falls apart, lets Texas drive right down the field. You didn't see the ability to counterpunch very much. Uh, you saw some counterpunches. Like, there, I mean, those last two drives were magnificent. And it wasn't just that they were both scoring drives because only one of them was, but it was you moved the football well enough on that final drive to completely wipe out the, the last 252 that was left in the clock. And just, I mean, it, incredible performance, even though it didn't end in, in, in points. Uh, as far as being able to move the football and get the job done, love the play calling from Tommy Reese. Uh, as soon as they went empty on that first down, I mean, back was in the backfield. He motions out. You see, you know, uh, an empty backfield. There's no way on first down when you're no, you're at least you're trying to do some things to get yardage. I don't think you need to be conservative there. If you run it up the gut three times, you're handing Georgia the football back with you know a minute and a half, and they're only down a field goal. Um, I, I would say a minute and a half it could have been more than that could have been less than that. I, I don't know the uh, time, uh, the amount of time, but you would have given them enough time to be able to move the football down the field. The defense was not playing great at that point. So it's like, you need, you can't be too conservative here, but you also can't be too aggressive because then you're not going to be running clock and you need to be running clock. And so I thought that as soon as they went empty, they're not throwing the football on first down. 
I, no way. And you knew it was going to be a quarterback draw, this exact or a quarterback power. It's exactly what it ended up being. And he picked up a first down, and now they're rolling. They got a little bit of momentum going. Uh, you knew that now Georgia's wasting uh, timeouts, and Alabama still got that clock advantage with a fresh set of downs. And it just it it kind of eased your mind watching it just from that one play. Good play call by Tommy Reese. Good execution by Jalen Milrow and the and the entire offense. The offensive line looked great. But I'll give Jalen Milrow credit because you at no point in that game did I feel like was he holding back Alabama in some ways at some points in that game? Yes. You have to be able to admit that, and that's okay. I mean, Bryce Young was limiting in some ways against LSU on the road a couple of years ago. I mean, it just it just it wasn't his best night. It wasn't his stuff, and in some ways he was limiting. His size was limiting. The way LSU was playing him as far as disguising their uh, their their spa and hiding him behind the defensive line, and he would go to take off you know, left or right. Spa immediately comes out of nowhere. Uh, Bryce doesn't see him. And now he's got pressure in his face, and he's got to get rid of the football. But his size was limiting in that game. His shortcomings were limiting uh, the offense in some ways. That that happens with every quarterback. But um, credit to him for battling through, avoiding turnovers, and give credit to the rest of the team for compensating for that and helping him out and making it a true team effort. That's what has made this Alabama team so special. And let's talk about some of those other elements because – you know, the run game was there. Caden Proctor played, I think, given the, the the stage and the competition, it was his best performance in an Alabama uniform. He mauled people in the run game. He was serviceable in pass protection. And granted, some of that is aided by Georgia. They don't have great edge play. Uh, and you also had the fact that they were only rushing three sometimes. So I thought they helped out Proctor quite a bit. I thought they would try to exploit him. But that's the the beauty of having Jalen Milrow back there at quarterback is they they want to exploit Proctor, but by doing so, they open themselves up to Jalen Milrow being able to use his legs more, and you're trying to contain. And so that's dangerous to be able to try to do that. So uh, give him credit. Give the offensive line, you know, as a whole, a ton of credit. They moved guys in the run game. Seth McLaughlin did not play. He had good moments, um, but he did not play very well. Snaps were poor. I saw him get overpowered on multiple occasions. Um, I don't know what's going on, but that just that hadn't been there like it needed to be. But the receivers caught some tough footballs at times. Give Jermaine Burton a lot of credit. There was a lot of emotion in this game. You knew there would be, and he kept it under control. He made a couple of key plays, but he kept it under control. Yeah, he did. I, I was really happy for uh, for Jermaine, and who was quite happy for himself. And uh, he did keep it under control at least until the game was over. Exactly. Then, uh, That's all you I'm need. Sure. <laughs> as soon as there were zeros on the clock, then uh, then he let it all out. Uh, he he made he made uh, that that the the touchdown catch was just spectacular. Uh, maybe we haven't talked enough about how he's got the circus hands, right? I mean, I mean, uh, I think Burton is at his best. When he uh, gains separation in his routes, I think that's probably his best trait. But uh, he's got some some good hands, and I say that knowing he dropped a, a touchdown pass later on a tough catch that he, you know, you ask him, and I, I think he knows he should have caught that ball. But the, the touchdown catch he did make was just a just a fantastic throw, and and, and a just as good or better catch. Uh, Burton is a big part of Alabama's success, and and, and a big reason Alabama's here. Uh, but Isaiah Bond. I think late uh, developed into a different level player. Uh, it's it's always about levels and and steps forward. 
uh, for Isaiah Bond, it was a step forward before the season even started because he went from a talented freshman to you're a starter, you're a big part of the rotation, to you're a mainstay in the rotation, to you're a guy we need to get the ball to, to arguably 1B, to Burton's 1A. Uh, and then, of course, against Auburn, he makes a play that we'll all remember uh, for 100 years. Uh, and, and I think Bond, as, as, as all of it's added up to – now he's a pretty elite kid, and I, and I think next season, Clint, you're you're talking about Bond among the elite wide receivers in college football. That's 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 how good this kid's getting, and 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 I bet in the in the playoffs we're going to see uh, an even expanded use of Isaiah Bond as he is sort of transitioning into the go-to playmaking wide receiver that uh, that we know he's going to be uh, next season. Uh, but man, the the whole offense. It's gone from a lot of questions in September to a lot of weapons in December in terms of you can go to several guys now that you can count on to make a play, whether it's Nye Black and Dupree, whether it's it's Roydell and Jam and, and now Jace when he's back for the for the playoff games, and certainly a deep wide receiver core, and it's all led by Milrow. Is, is this Alabama offense uh, one of the best in the sport? Probably not. But I, I think it's uh, gotten to the point, Clint, where even when you play a high-quality defense like Georgia, Alabama's a threat to score in a big play, and Alabama's a threat to drive the ball 75 yards down the field and score even against a Georgia, against a Texas, against a Michigan, against a Texas A&M defense that's really good. So, uh, wow, th this is a playoff-worthy offense, uh, and they will win the playoff, in my opinion, if they get a defensive performance uh, in two games, uh, reminiscent of the uh, of the early Saban defenses, and I think they're capable of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I what what has to make you confident is just Georgia's a better rushing offense than they looked on Saturday against Alabama's defense. They really are. I understand the numbers might not reflect it, but it's kind of like Alabama's offense. If you go dive into all the numbers, it's actually not that great. It doesn't look like an offense that you would think would be good enough for the college football playoff, but it's a much more effective offense than the numbers would indicate. It's the same thing with Georgia's rushing attack, especially in the last, you know, three, four weeks, like the last month or so, they've started to figure some things out. Kendall Milton has become a really good, you know, kind of bang between the tackles runner, very powerful player. The offensive line has been good. Um, and, and the fact that they, Alabama limited them in the way that they did defensively I thought was really impressive they made life very difficult for Carson Beck no one's put him under pressure this year and that we all talked about how that was a big point of emphasis going into the game can you make Carson Beck uncomfortable and if you can how does he respond to that and this is where playing quality competition comes into play uh, because he was not ready for it it took him a long time to get things going and uh, you know you really I mean think about Jalen Milrow uh, for example in comparison Texas A&M on the road, Texas, and having one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, you're going against a very vulnerable LSU defense, and that's easy, but you're having to play keep up with an offense that's got a Heisman, potentially a, probably a Heisman winning quarterback on it that's scoring points at will and just making, in a lot of ways, your defense look silly. And it's like you know that it's a one or two stop type of game. If, if we get stopped once or twice, because we shoot ourselves in the foot or I make one bad decision and throw an interception 
or whatever, that can create the separation that the other offense needed. That's pressure. And so he's faced a lot. It's been in different ways, but he's faced that in a lot of games this year. And Carson Beck had not, and Carson Beck wasn't quite ready for it. He's going to be a heck of a quarterback. He's going to learn from this. This game will benefit him moving forward, I guarantee you. But it's also um, Alabama's plan of attack was great. I love the fact that they, they were willing to abandon. They didn't think that they would be able to stop the run, uh, you know, running too high. And they were running three-man front early. Abandoned that after the first drive, pretty much, and said, nope, this ain't going to work. Let's go, you know, as Dick Saban said, 40 front, split safety looks. Let's see how we can do just doing that. And they stopped the run extremely well, given the fact that they were presenting more opportunities in the run game. That's where you got to give, I think, the edge shutters. The two outside linebackers were good setting the edge. I thought, you know, the the interior defensive line did a really good job. They didn't get bullied. Uh, Deontay Lawson looked a lot more like the Deontay Lawson of old. Not saying he's 100% healthy. He still looked limited in some ways, but I will say oh, the last week was pretty darn good to him, uh, Jimmy. And then you've got quality performances all in the secondary. Uh, Terry and Arnold went to freaking war. He lost some. He won more than he lost, in my opinion. Played a really good game. Caleb Downs was all over the place. Kool-Aid goes down. You got to have Trey Amos step up. What does he do? First play that he was in there. They, you know, get Brock Bowers out there on him, immediately go at him, and he held up well. And from that point forward, he had a good game. So it was just very good performance from Alabama's defense, despite the fact they give up, you know, 24 points, despite the fact they gave up 321 yards, which isn't a ton. But, you know, for an elite defense, you might think, okay, you, you wouldn't give up that. But um, they, the, I don't care what the numbers say. This was in my outside of some late miscues. Uh, I thought this was a pretty elite defensive performance given the situation. No question. No question. And it's arguably their best defensive performance of the year when you factor in opponent and uh, and, and, and scant yards given up, considering who you're playing. Now, hey, look, we're not going to uh, uh, sugarcoat. No doubt Alabama was aided by the fact that Brock Bowers didn't look like the, the Brock Bowers we've seen before. Uh, Lad McConkey, you know, limped around the whole game. I mean, so so you, you weren't facing Georgia at uh, firing on all cylinders, uh, and I'm sure they're bringing that up on their boards and their their podcast today. No. That, that, that I'm sure they're bringing it up. You're not allowed uh, to do that, Jimmy. <laughs> Injuries don't matter. Yeah, that's right. That's what they told us. They told us that that was just an excuse, which was uh, wrong, by the way. I mean, I, I, on the other side, the, the you know the side that where Alabama benefited. You have to admit that plays a part. It 100 percent does. Yeah. Just like Jameson Williams and John Matchy going down played a huge part. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we and this is why Alabama fans shouldn't be. I mean, if you want to make the argument, hey, you said that, and now you can't go back on it. Well, the entire time, your side has also been arguing it does matter. So continue to to keep pace and say, I mean, yeah, it does matter. But this time, Georgia didn't get the guys that needed to step up, and Alabama did because Kool Aid McIntyre went down, and they were fine. Dallas Turner went down. They were fun. Uh, so they had guys step up. Georgia was playing through, you know, limited players uh, that, who still had pretty decent performances given the situation. But just uh, you have to admit that it matters because it does. 100% Brock Bowers adds an element to Georgia. Vlad McConkey being 100% adds a wrinkle and an element to Georgia. That's okay to admit. Team's got to play banged up or without guys. Alabama's had to do it. And uh, But at the end of the day, we were also told that's not an excuse. 
And so no one needs to be making excuses. Yeah, and Amarius Mims, their best offensive lineman probably. He he goes down during the game. Alabama took advantage there. Uh, So it is kind of some – some irony, some payback, maybe that uh, that hey, when you lose critical players on offense, it affects everything. And Georgia has now found that out, uh, and, and no doubt it was a factor. But it, Georgia's got other dudes too. You don't get to be three-time national champions without having a roster full of dudes. Uh, and and the Alabama defense did a great job. I agree that it was Deontay Lawson's best game since September, and I still think there's a better Lawson out there that we're very likely to see in the bowls. Uh, I think we've almost forgotten how good Deontay Lawson was in September. We were somewhat reminded of that. Uh, but I think the game had a couple of unsung heroes on defense that we don't talk about enough. Um, I think uh, Trey Amos, uh, we, we can't say enough good things about because he was put in tough spot and uh, and he delivered. But Trey has been Alabama's dime defensive back all year long and has held up really well. Yeah, I remember – Look, uh, it's not a secret who your fifth defensive back is and who your sixth defensive back is. So when you're the dime back, meaning that you're the sixth defensive back that plays in the game when, when, when Alabama goes to dime, the other team knows who you are. And they know you're not as good as the first four or you'd be playing. You know, they know that you're the sixth best defensive back. So who do they attack? The sixth guy. Okay, so Tramus has been targeted quite a bit this year. Now he comes in replacing maybe your number one corner in Kool-Aid. They go right at him, and not only do they go right at him, they make sure Bowers is involved, and Amos has to defend that, and he did. And, I mean, you can't win championships without performances like that. It can't be Milrow and Dallas and Kool-Aid and Braz doing everything. Uh, the role players have to step up and make plays when it's their turn. And Amos did that. Uh, and, and, and Lawson, and let me tell you who else had a great game. And it obviously meant the world to him. Trez Marshall. I, I thought Trez played maybe the best game uh, of his season or certainly the best he's been since he busted up those ribs. He busted up some ribs midseason. Hasn't really been the same player since, but he's back healthy now. And man, he was a, he, he made several big plays that helped determine the outcome in this game. And you know that had to feel good to him uh, making the plays that beat Georgia. Uh, And I'm sure he's a little miffed that he didn't play more, you know, when he was at Georgia and he was out there proving to Georgia that it, that, that he should have been, but I thought he was great. Uh, And and as a whole, the front seven just held up better against that Georgia run. Uh, Nice adjustment by Saban uh, that he talked about on sec network after the, the long touchdown drive by Georgia and this defense Clint, I'll talk about a lot during the offseason. I think what's crazy to me is if you look at the defensive numbers, and you mentioned this about the offense, about how the offense is better than the numbers suggest, the defense is absolutely better than the numbers suggest. Because if you look up points allowed and yards allowed, which are about as significant a stats as there are on defense, this defense is, is no better than the Alabama 2022 defense. It's, as a matter of fact, it's fairly identical in terms of yards and points. But I think I know uh, me and you are going to agree on this, and I think most analysts uh, out there and a lot, and most fans will agree. This defense is just better than last year's. I don't care what those numbers say. Uh, I know they're better. I, I watched them play. I've watched every snap multiple times. <laughs> I know they're better. They're better when it matters, and they're better against good competition. Uh, maybe the overall numbers, for whatever reason, work out to be the same. But this defense is better than last year's. They have kind of an it factor. 
And, and if it comes down to a stop to win the game, I trust these dudes. I trust they'll do it. Yeah, and you know when you you actually a lot of the underlying numbers really paint a much different picture for this Alabama defense. Um, and and so yeah, it, it's it's considered one of the best defenses in the country as it should be, and I think that matters. I do find it interesting. Um, you know, I did, people have you know causation versus correlation. Uh, you know, all these, you know, there, there's always this debate as far as offensive style and philosophy compared to defensive performance. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Alabama's offense, as far as the way that it plays, running, wanting to run more clock, wanting to run the football, controlling tempo, controlling the physicality of the game, setting the tone, doing all those different things, they become more of that and the defense gets better. LSU, whose defense was not oh, nothing special last year, they get significantly worse defensively when their offense shoots to the top as far as the way that they can score points on you. Uh, Georgia has had a complete team, but it's been very balanced. Like, they're elite in both categories, and I'm not saying that you can't be elite in both categories, but uh, it was it, they played complementary football. Like, it, it, even though they would score a lot of points, they were very efficient, they ran the football, uh, and they were able to control tempo and clock when they wanted to you know, work their way down the field. It wasn't super reliant on it, it, you know, explosive downfield plays. They're scoring it in a minute and a half or, you know, 46 seconds. And now the defense is right back out there. Ole Miss, great offense, terrible defense. Uh, you know, it's just, it, I don't think there's a, I, I, there's a reason for that. Um, and so just, I, I think Alabama right now, and we talked about this in the off season, and it's taken a long time for them to get to this point. But the fact that they they can kind of maul people a little bit more in the run game, like they were, I mean, Alabama's offensive line, they were they bullied Georgia, their, their defensive front, they really did, and it's and and that was great to see because that's kind of what you thought they were going to do all year, and they didn't, and it took it wasn't just a couple of three four week thing. I mean, this took weeks and weeks to reach this point, and but they're doing it, and they're playing more complimentary football. And they're in back in the college football playoff, and I would say they're probably the favorite to win it. And that's just it's it's funny. Alabama pivots and they start going back in the other direction, and it wasn't pretty because they've been building it one way for several years. But now that they're pivoting and, and guys are starting to figure it out, and everything's starting to come together and run as kind of one unit. All of a sudden, you're talking about them being one of the best teams in the country and the favorite to win the the national championship. I don't think that's coincidence either, Jimmy. It's a complimentary football, like you say. I mean, I, I think they built an offense uh, that's style helped the defense improve and made everyone tougher. And tough is a great uh, word to describe Perfect. this team. I think they're tough on offense. They're tougher on defense, and that's where why they are where they where they are and why they're going to be very difficult. Michigan may beat Alabama. That's very possible. They're a really good football team, uh, but they're going to know they were in a sixty-minute football game. Uh, against Alabama because this Alabama team is tough. Uh, they have an it uh, factor, that that thing that just makes a team special. I think last year's team in many ways might have been better than this team, but they didn't have it. They, 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 weren't, they weren't a force because they all happened to, to play together. This team does. They, they, they're a real team. Nick Saban started his speech uh, on the championship podium with – this is a team, uh, and it's it's the complementary part of it. It's the offense is 
created a better defense. The defense plays so well, it makes a tougher offense. And uh, they play well together as a group, and they're, they're going to be very difficult to beat in this playoff. Uh, I like Alabama's chances a lot, uh, but it is tough. I think, Clint, one through four, this is one of the better playoff fields in the 10 years of the 14 playoff because it's pretty rare that I would say all four teams have a chance. I, I'm not sure it's a stretch for me to say Washington – has a real chance. I don't know that Washington is good enough defensively to win two games uh, in the playoff, but their offense is so good and their combination of talent at quarterback, running back, and receiver is fantastic. And that'll be tough for Texas in that first game. But I, I know this, I, I, I won't be surprised if Michigan wins the playoff. They are the number one seed. I won't be surprised if Texas wins the playoff because we know exactly as Alabama fans how good that team is. And I'll be least surprised of all if it's Nick Saban and Alabama. Um, so I think three of the four can win this. And Washington is good enough to make some noise uh, for sure with that pass game they have and those receivers who are spectacular. And I'm glad as a college football fan, I get another game to watch Penix to uh, Rome Adunza, who's just. He's, he's unreal. So uh, it's going to be a fun playoff, Clint. Yeah, and you got it's a different mentality now. And Nick Saban touched on this, and I thought this was very important. Uh, he was asked the question, and he, but he immediately brought up that's a, that's a good question that you ask, and it's that Alabama has felt d so disrespected this year, and everybody thought this is Georgia's college football now. Like David Pollock's making comments you know, in the national championship game last year, and Nick Saban sitting right next to him. Uh, obviously, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was pissed off in his reaction, but I mean, I'm sure it didn't feel very good when you've been considered top dog for forever to somebody else to be like, Hey, you are, you're a has been now, which is not exactly what David Pollock was saying. But as far as being the top guy, you were a has been, you were that guy, you were not that guy. And with him sitting right there and, and, in attendance sitting next to him, um, thought that was certainly a choice, but you know, Alabama has had a chip on its shoulder. And now they're not going. Georgia was the obstacle, and they would even tell you that. I mean, even in the post game stuff, it was like we wanted to prove against this team because this was this is the number one team. Do they view Michigan as the number one team? That is what you've got to concern yourself with. the The job is not done, but I, it feels like based off of the way people were reacting. I'm not I'm not trying to worry anybody or freak anybody out, but it just it feels like the way people were talking. Georgia was the goal and then you get past Georgia and now you've it's like okay and this is what good programs or anybody is successful in life you reach a goal you immediately set that next one and then you keep grinding and you keep getting better and that is the hope but Alabama is going to have a month of everybody telling them just like last year going into the season last year Alabama is the runaway favorite here I mean they got Bryce Young they got Will Anderson they got this they got that both coordinators are coming back Alabama's gonna run college football this year and they were they had a long time for everybody to tell them how good, great, and wonderful they are. Now they're going to get a little bit more of that because they're good. Even though they're the fourth seed, everybody's saying how great they are. They just beat Georgia. Uh, you know the Michigan thing. I will say this too: did it? Did the the video of Michigan reacting to Alabama? Did it look bad on Michigan? A thousand percent. It looked really, really bad. Um, they're embarrassed by that video, and people have run with it, and I think carried it a little bit too far. And I understand that to a degree, but they're embarrassed by that. And if you don't think that's not a motivating factor, 
What you can't do is react like that way and come off as scared and then get run off the field when you play Alabama because then everybody's going to be like, man, they'll, they'll use that video from now until the end of time if Alabama's them in the first round of the college football playoff in the Rose Bowl. I mean, they, they, this, will all, this will completely – I mean, it will – and in a lot of ways, it will define the Michigan program. I mean, I'll go ahead and, and take it that far, which means their backs are against the wall. They're the one seed, but no one's giving them a chance. Everybody thinks they're scared, and that's probably going to piss them off. And so when you combine that with the fact that they do have some talent and Alabama is going to be told for the next month how good, great, and wonderful they are, Nick Saban, and, and it feels like when you've heard him talk about not letting external factors motivate you one way or the other, he 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 wants his teams to be able to adopt that mentality because of things like last year. You end up getting disappointing seasons when you let the external factors dictate your motivation because everybody's telling you how good, great, and wonderful you are, and you don't let that affect you. So he didn't. But at the same time, he also has to try to be consistent because when everybody's saying you don't have a chance, you say, okay, now you can let all the external factors motivate you. No one's telling you you're good. So he's trying to be, be consistent on that front. But I think he's figured out like it does it play it does play a major part. I mean, it really does. Got when guys are pissed off and they feel disrespected, disrespected people do really good things. And and I mean, freaking Kirby Smart had Georgia thinking everybody were predicting them to go seven and five, and they weren't. I mean, so that's what the elite mindsets do. And Alabama's gonna be looking at it a lot differently now compared to even leading up to the Georgia game. I mean, you make it to the SEC championship, you needed a Hail Mary, not a Hail Mary, but that's what everybody's been saying, against to beat a 6-6 six and six Auburn. It's motivating. You know, you want to prove that you belong. So it's a different mentality, Jimmy. Well, I'm sure Alabama's team has noticed that uh, Vegas installed Michigan quickly as a two-point favorite. Uh, that is very significant in Alabama games because Alabama is very rarely an underdog. They just were in Atlanta, and now you're an underdog again. Uh, I couldn't help but notice in Saban's first media appearance as part of the Rose Bowl with Jim Harbaugh, I think he referred to Michigan as the number one team three different times. And and because and and he's Good always catch. talking to his team, always talking to his team. He wants the team to hey, hey, you're not number one. I know you just beat number one, but there's a new number one. It's not you. It's not you. You know, it, it's this these this, this team we're playing. They're number one. So you got to do it again. If you want to be number one, you got to beat number one again, uh, and, and you're an underdog. So I think Alabama's going to use all that stuff. I think you're you're right. Michigan will use that tape. You can almost see this coming, Clint. Post game, Alabama wins, and there's going to be one of Alabama's talkers <laughs> is going to say in the media, "We saw the video when they announced it was Alabama, and, and they're, they're they're scared. They didn't want this smoke." That's what they're they didn't want this. They didn't want this. On the opposite side, if Michigan does end up beating Alabama, you're gonna see some players say everybody said we were scared from that video and exactly. we weren't scared. And exactly. So it's it, it it this is how big it is. It will be brought up. It will be bought up by the team that wins the game. They will bring it up. Alabama will say they didn't want any of this. And then Michigan will say they thought we were scared and we showed them, you know, yep. that we we were never scared and and that was all crazy talk. Uh so, but it, it was a story in the sense it will be it will be brought up. But uh, man, it's going to be fun. We got uh, we got several weeks to to talk about it, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, all of it. And a lot of a lot of portal stuff and a lot of recruiting between now and then. Yeah, we're going to be getting creative in in some of the video content. Uh, you and I, uh, obviously, there's not going to be games to react to, 
there's one, you know, at least one more, potentially two more games to preview. Um, but and, and there will be reactions to both of those as well, but it's going to be a while. So in the meantime, you know, I'm thinking some some mailbag type of stuff. It's kind of reflecting in, on some of the positions. It's and we'll, we'll we'll be slow about it. We hop on here for an hour and we just we we touch on so many different things. We'll be a lot more intentional about the content that we do and and really flush some things out i know you and i can turn a 10 minute conversation into a 30 minute conversation pretty easily uh <laughs> i, I do could that. do that i could do that myself if i'm speaking on and anybody watching be like yeah we know um a couple of times i'm sure they're, they're like all right pitch it back to jimmy dude uh, you've talked for like 10 minutes um but, but anyways uh you know we're going to be a lot more intentional about the content we'll flush it out a little bit more we'll break more things down I don't think there's going to be, you know, the players and the coaches and all that stuff. Nick Saban talked about it. There's a such thing as overanalyzing something. So they need to be careful with that. No such thing as that for us. We can uh, we can analyze every little detail. Um, maybe that will affect our predictions and we'll overanalyze it that way. But if we're wrong, we're wrong. I don't think it's going to affect things. But you're going to know everything you need to know about the Michigan Wolverines. You're going to know everything that you need to know about Alabama, which most of our very informed listeners already do. So that's not a problem, but we're going to be providing a lot of content, not just us. I mean, you're the amount of content on the video, uh, on the YouTube channel, the amount of content on the message boards, as far as just topics and conversation, the amount of content, as far as written content from Charlie and from all the recruiting guys with the transfer portal stuff, we've got all that unlock. I'm going to be covering that in so many different ways. We'll react to some of that stuff too you and I and what it could mean. And, and, you know, as far as losses or additions and what we like about this channel is that you can all like Tim and Travis can hop on here and almost have the same conversation as us. Like they're going to, they're two different people with two different opinions. And, you know, you'll listen to, if it was just, if we were, if we weren't merged, like we did, someone would get on and they listen to ours and they go to a different place and listen to Travis and Tim. It's not like they heard it once and now they want to be done with it. They want to hear all kinds We've just made it to where you just have to want to go to one place. It's very simple. It's all nice and neat. And, you know, some people might say, well, why are you, why do we got a preview? And then the next day we get another preview from two different guys on the same channel. Well, that's why, you know, um, that's just my thought. I mean, if we, just cause we, if we work for two different companies, you'd have previews from both. So why can't we keep it under the same um, umbrella and just make it easier on you and where you go to get it? Uh, that's my thought process, but just, we got a lot of different content, uh, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different ways of looking at it. I know I love that. I know Jimmy loves that. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be slowing down anytime soon. So, Jimmy, I appreciate you, man. Just this has been such a fun season. It's been a, a stressful season, I'm sure. No one looks back to Saturday and thought, man, I had a, I had a blast because it was stressful the entire time. But also in hindsight, that makes the victory that much sweeter. I mean, just because you didn't know if they were going to be able to pull it out. And you and, Everybody was sweating bullets yesterday, waiting on the college football playoff announcement. And as soon as you saw that Alabama logo as the number four team, it, it was that much sweeter because if they would have railroaded everybody and they were the number one team, you wouldn't have got to experience that. But I mean, no one's sitting there. Michigan fans were sitting there fist pumping, super pumped that they made the playoffs because they knew they were making the playoffs. Alabama fans were though. That was a lot of fun. And you know, I, I think that it's been a heck of a ride. I'm, I'm glad that you've been a part of this. I'm glad we get to do this together. We're very fortunate. And I'm super thankful for everybody. Like, I don't always get to the comments on YouTube, but uh, I really try to because I try to let you guys know I see them. I'm engaged. 
We appreciate you. There, you guys are what make this YouTube channel go. Your your comments, your commentary, your participation, the fact that you watch, the fact that you enjoy it. Um, I just you know I'm rambling once again, turning an hour and seven minute podcast into you know an hour and fifteen minute. Um, but <laughs> point is, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you, Jimmy. Uh, if you haven't already, like subscribe turn on your alerts for this. We're going to be, we're not slowing down on the content very much at all in the next several weeks. Just going to be analyzing every little piece of detail that you could possibly imagine. Uh, but Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you. And we will do this again soon. Looking forward to it, pal. And uh, wow, football season is not over. Far from it.